on. Good morning, church. Good morning, World Victory. God bless you. Um, I concur with uh, Pastor Sean. This is an unusual morning. I want you to embrace the unusual this morning. And um, I want to give all honor to God for the opportunity to render a word from his heart to his people. And what has been uh, such an unusual season for most of us, if all of us, an honor to our bishop and first lady pastor, Bishop Adrian Starks and Pastor Shandi Starks, we love you, we bless you, we honor you, we, um, we thank God for the gift of God in you, and we pray that you will rest in him, and we are just, it is marvelous in our eyes what the Lord is doing in you. We give all honor to uh, the leadership of this house, the elders, the deacons, the ministers, uh, everyone, love you very much. I want to bring a word this morning by the title of birthplace, birthplace. And I pray you have your sword of the spirit, your sword of the spirit nearby. It might be digital, but if you have the one with pages, we're going to go to a couple of passages this morning. Real quick, as we were worshiping, I saw a cork of a bottle being popped open. And I want to acknowledge the spirit of God who is showing us there is something about to break. There is a celebration that we should be prepared for. There is um, a memorial we'll be making from this moment of time of pressing and pushing and building the pressure in the spirit for what God is doing in the earth. We are partnering with him as he's shaking things up. He's making us move. He's causing us to be in friction. He's causing us to face frustration and he's going to blow the top off of the limitations of your life. And I want you to receive this word. Receive this word. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit, especially now. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. I want somebody to type that into the, the chat. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. Yes, yeah, some people might not be excited about this situation we're in, but this is the acceptable year of the Lord. In Jesus name speaking this morning from the thought birthplace 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 turn with me if you can to 1st Corinthians 15 verse 57 and verse 58 a very familiar couple of, uh, of scriptures to all of us 1st Corinthians chapter 15 verses 57 and 58 God give me the grace to render this word as you have given it and preached it to me may it go forth with the power to move us may it go forth with the power to impregnate us with the spiritual power to push forth and bring forth that which you have put into the earth by your mind and your will but you need us to co-labor with you and so God in that same sense may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be 110% acceptable in your sight as this is worship in Jesus name. Amen. Let us read together. First Corinthians 15 
And we'll start at verse 57. But thanks be to God. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I want to make a proclamation to you this morning that your labor is not in vain. I want somebody to type in all caps. Your labor is not in vain. Encourage yourself. Encourage your brother. Encourage your sister. Your pain, your push, your passion, your perseverance. It is not in vain. In this chapter of the word of God written to the church in Corinth. Paul writes convincing, convincingly about the certitude and assurance that we all have in Christ's resurrection. There, in fact, had been debate about resurrection. Is it real or not? And this is among believers. Is there life after this was the question. And there were questions because Paul makes the argument that if we're asking about if there's resurrection at all, then we're basically asking, did Christ rise? And he writes copiously about the evidence and the power of resurrection. And he speaks about his own conversion. I'm talking about Paul and how Paul was born by the spirit. He basically says, I am evidence of the resurrection of Jesus because it's the power of the resurrection that birthed me by the spirit from where I was and translated me to where I am today. And so let us read right here in first Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse three, where he continues and he says of himself as he's talking about about being born by the spirit. He says, for I delivered to you. He says, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And even after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. And then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. Now, listen to the verbiage he uses. This is Paul saying, I delivered to you the gospel. This is Paul saying he was born out of due time. Paul here using imagery consistent with conception, labor, and delivery. He says, I was conceived and born as one who came late. But he acknowledges there was a process of revelation. Jesus came to him and opened his eyes after he had been blind. We know the story on the Damascus Road. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the prick, says the Lord Jesus. But Paul's conversion didn't begin with his surrender. It started with a prayer. 
a disciple of Jesus Christ named Stephen was being stoned. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm talking about the book of Acts. Turn with me to Acts chapter 7 and verse 54. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. As he was being persecuted by the Jews, Stephen looked up and saw the glorious Christ, the Son of Man, standing in glory. And in his persecution, in the midst of his pain, he found the strength to utter a powerful world changing prayer. God, I bless your name. Listen to this in verse 54. When they heard these things, meaning the Jews, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed him at him with their teeth. This is how they responded by offense to the truth of God's word. But he, meaning Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. They were unified in oppressing and opposing Christ. And oppressing and opposing his disciple. They were unified in oppressing and opposing the believer. They were unified in oppressing and opposing the one who carried the gospel. They were, they were unified in retaliating against the one who believed. The Bible says they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice. He was bold in his proclamation. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. It sounds a little bit like Jesus. When Jesus says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He carried the heart of God and the prophetic power of the word of God and released it into the atmosphere in the midst of his persecution. Stephen didn't even know who he was praying for. Pastor, Pastor Sean, he had no idea how being in a position of submission allowed him the opportunity to partner with the perfect will of the kingdom of God to advance at his dying breath. He didn't know he was praying for a man. Listen to this. A man who would take the gospel Stephen was dying for into Europe and Asia. And this same man, this same persecutor would die for the gospel over which the same man was now committing murder. He was an accomplice to murder of a man who was proclaiming Jesus Christ. And listen, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15 as Paul talks about this in verse 9. He says, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But somebody type but dot dot dot. But dot dot dot. He said, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. Then he comes back and says, but <laughs> by the grace of God. I am what I am. 
and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. Sometimes we think it's up to us. But it's the grace of God in us that actually makes it work. We look at the giant before we look at the God. And God's saying, no, I just need you to bear down and be in position and open up to what I'm putting in you by my grace. Don't worry about if you're worthy or not. Just get in position. God is so good. Listen, here again, Paul says he labored even more than the 12 apostles. Somebody needs to hear this truth. Paul says with humility and he speaks the truth that he worked harder by God's grace than all the 12 who walked in the presence of the incarnate Christ. Listen to me. That or who that was born out of Stephen's prayer was greater and more impactful than any ministry the world had seen before. One man's prayer, one sentence. He said, do not lay this sin against their child. One sentence in perfect position, in perfect operation, in accordance with the will of God, broke open the heavens so that Jesus could speak audibly to one man who had been given the grace of God to carry the gospel beyond Jerusalem, beyond Samaria, and into the utter. Listen, this was after the ministry on earth of our Savior Jesus Christ. Somebody needs to believe this. He saves the best for last. So when you feel disqualified, come on somebody. What did Jesus say? He says, the works that I do, you will do also. And then he says, and greater works. And it's by his grace. Friends, we have the same ability in this earthen vessel is great treasure. So it is my privilege today to talk to you from the thought birthplace. And I'm going to argue that we are in an hour of awakening in which the Lord has called us to bring forth incredible change and transformation. If we believe it, we must believe we have the grace and the power by Holy Spirit to see the world change. Listen to Paul in the same chapter. We're fasting for awakening. Same chapter. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 34. The same chapter. He says, awake to righteousness and do not sin for some do not have the knowledge of God. But he's saying, you do. You have the knowledge of God. You are known by God. There is a responsibility you carry because you're known by God. And then he says, I speak this to your shame. Listen, fam, we 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 got to see this. It will be a shame if we leave anything on the table that the Lord has planted in us. So I'm going to talk on three points real quick. The birthplace of faith, the birthplace of favor and the birthplace of fruit. The birthplace of faith, the birthplace of favor, Minister Walter, and the birthplace of fruit. Let's go through the scriptures. Let's go to Genesis uh, chapter 18. We're going to talk about the birthplace of faith. Please bear with me. We're going to read some scripture. It has power. 
Starting at verse one, then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing by him. This is Abraham. And when Abraham saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, my Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Somebody needs to type that right now. Do not pass me by. Do not pass me by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. He's making an atmosphere. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which had been prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. And then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And Abraham responded here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you. Listen, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife will have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. <laughs> Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. And he said, the Lord said, no, but you did laugh. I love how this scripture makes it clear just how audacious the promise is. God puts it in plain speech. They were beyond childbearing age. They had been waiting for 24 years for a promise that was given. And it hadn't happened yet. But I need you to hear this. There are some things that can only be born by the spirit. And it's the thing that seems too hard. <laughs> but the Lord asked a rhetorical question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Anything means anything. Anything means anything. There is no thing too hard for the Lord, but he needs our faith to do it in the earth. He needs your agreement. Listen, let me give you an example. The sea was nothing to stand between Peter and Jesus. The sun was nothing to stand between Joshua and the Israelites taking the territory. The will of God was that Peter would come to Jesus. And so the water had to obey the will of God. That's how Peter could walk on water. The sun wasn't going to be in the sky long enough for the Israelites to defeat their enemy. And so the sun was standing in the way, at least it looked that way. And so Joshua then had to just command the sun to stand still. And it had to obey because the will of God was that the people of Israel would take ground. 
There is nothing that separates you from the love and will of God. If you get a word, stand on it and pursue it. There is nothing in this natural world that can stand between the promise and the manifestation. If we believe. What did Peter say? If that's you, Lord, bid me to come. Jesus said, come. That was decision time. Peter didn't just start walking. He had to first step out of a boat. He had to first look down from a place that didn't seem natural and do something that seemed fatal and stepped out of a boat. I don't even know how big the boat is, but I have a feeling that it wasn't a kayak. It wasn't a canoe. This was a ship of some size and he had the faith. You mean to tell me brother had the faith after a storm to step out of a vessel of safety onto water and the water molecular structure had to obey the will of God. Ask a chemist what the molecular structure is supposed to do with H2O. It, It doesn't agree with what the scripture says, but the scripture speaks of kingdom. <laughs> the, the scripture speaks of kingdom. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. I want you to understand something. The seed, meaning faith, meaning the word needs soil. It needs the conditions, the nutrients, the water, and the time to come forth. Some things take Abraham was Abram. Sarah was Sarai. They now have new names. So they're no longer just exalted father and princess. No, no, no. They were more than just royalty in the house of God. And you were more just than just royalty in the house of God. You are in partnership with Jesus. Abraham means father of a multitude. And, and the thing that gets me is Sarah still means princess. And I said, God, I don't understand. Why didn't her name meaning change? And he said, Frank, since her husband had been elevated, she too was being elevated. The name didn't need to shift because her husband in whom she was in covenant with had been shifted. And so their relationship shifted together. And so you two are exalted because Jesus is exalted. You're no longer just so-and-so's son and so-and-so's daughter. No, you are someone higher. You're in relationship with the king of kings. And in his family is generational impact. So here we have Abraham and Sarah with the pre-incarnate Christ and two angels at their doorstep. And they're preparing a meal for Christ. And this is what faith looks like. Communion and service to the Lord. The atmosphere around you doesn't matter. It's just you and Jesus. What do you need from me, Jesus? And listen to this. Jesus eats it up. He eats it up. Look, he says, go and do what you said. Prepare the meal. Prepare the calf. Prepare the fine meal. Prepare it. Do it as you said. He eats it up. He wants you. He wants you more than the thing. The thing you're pressing for is just a mode through which Jesus is going to show you himself. Masha. Sarah, though, still couldn't see the benefits. She couldn't see the reward. She couldn't comprehend the byproduct of the relationship. She just couldn't see the favor. She couldn't see it because she had not yet risen to a new royal level of faith. She was still caught up in the wilderness. They had been all over the place. They had been told they'd have a son. Where is he? 
She had all this stuff. They were rich, but she still had no promise. (laughs) She didn't see the favor in the struggle, so she laughed. Her disappointment got the best of her. She couldn't imagine the power packed inside her womb. It looked dead, but there was resurrection power inside of her. Say, there's resurrection power inside of you. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. So here the king of power is at her doorstep, and she didn't even come outside, y'all. She was just that disappointed. She stayed in the tent when the Lord was at her doorstep. And the Lord is saying to you this morning, come out of your cave. She had given up on the promise because she couldn't appreciate the promise takes time. So she laughed. But listen to this. The Lord is so gracious. He didn't allow her doubt to kill her her promise. He still found favor in her. He still saw the potential in the faith that she still did have. And he prophesied to that. And he said, according to the time of life, I will visit you. I will return. And Jesus promised you that on the third day. He said, I'll be back. When he died, he had already told him, I'll be back. He came back on the third day and he says, oh, and I'm not done yet. And Pentecost came. He always does what he says he's going to do. He's promised you everything in this book. Everything. And we disqualify ourselves. We laugh. We laugh, don't we? Just be honest. There's some things we laugh at. But we got to appreciate the power locked in our spiritual womb. So in that verse in Genesis 18, verse 14, where it says, is anything too hard for the Lord at the appointed time? I will return to you. That word for time there has a root word that means terminus and it implies duration. So terminus is when something comes to an end, but duration is a span of time. So both of those are caught up in that word time. So, yes, there is a termination point, but you have to wait for it. You have to wait for it. And think about how we use the word wait for it in our contemporary language. This is what the Lord gave me. You know, you're watching a video and somebody might be like, man, you got to see this video. And they'd be like, wait for it. You know, or, or someone's telling you a story and maybe somebody else is in the room and they've heard the story. And it might be taking a little longer than they anticipated. And somebody's like, no, 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 no. Don't stop listening. Don't stop paying attention. Wait for it. Wait for it. You've heard it before. What are we saying? We're telling the person to wait for the best part. No, no, no. Don't turn away yet. Don't don't change the channel. Don't click on the other. Wait for it. Wait for the best part. And so the terminus is the best part, but the duration is what we get caught up in. Rest in the Lord. Stay in the birthplace of faith. Wait for it. Let's talk about the birthplace of favor as we move forward quickly. This is is the same location where the promise is spoken. Listen to this. This is an environment where they had to stay in faith. So in this in this uh, uh, stretch of scripture, they're in a place called Mamre. Mamre. Listen to what Mamre means. Mamre means filthy. Mamre means lusty. So this is not a holy location. This is not a comfortable area. (laughs) And the root word of Mamre means to rebel. To lift up yourself. So in the land where Abraham built an altar 
is a land of lust, a land of idolatry, a land of rebellion, a filthy land, a land where people lift themselves up, a land of pride. A land of pride. This is Mamre, and this is where the Lord led Abraham to plant his family. This is where Abraham set up shop in the filthy land. Somebody feels like they're in a filthy land today, (laughs) but you're in the land of promise. This is the birthplace of favor. He didn't meet God in a land of perfection. He met and collaborated with the Lord in a filthy place. And later on, Mamre became known as Hebron. Hebron, what does that mean, Frank? Well, Hebron means seat of association. It comes from a root word that means to join, to couple together and have fellowship with. This was the headquarters of God and his people. In the middle of a filthy land, this is where he said, I'm going to sit you right here so we can join together. I'm going to put you in the middle of a lusty place, a place of pride, a place of rebellion, so you and I can have fellowship there. He didn't want them to have fellowship in a place where things were easy. He set the atmosphere such that God knew that Abraham would be forced to come to him. Oh, God, who feels like that today? Who feels like you've been put in a place of discomfort? Somebody hear me. So he takes him through a process. I'm going to take you through this quickly. This is where Abraham started and where he ended up. Abraham starts in a place called Haran. Haran means dead. He started in a dead place. This is where the Lord said, get up from thy kindred and thy people and go to a land from which I will show you. Leave the dead place. But then he takes him to Canaan, which means to humiliate, to bring low, to bring into subjection and to humble oneself. So he takes him out of a dead place and puts him in a place where he has to be humble. And he takes him from Canaan and he takes him to a place called Shechem, which means a place of burden. So now he's humble and now the Lord puts a burden on him. And then he goes to a place called Moray, which means to point out by aiming the finger. So he brings him to a place where he's humble. He's bringing him to a place of a burden. And then he says, now I'm going to turn you in the right direction. This is how I turn you. I bring you to a place that's low. I give you a burden you can't handle on your own. And then I point you in the right direction. I give purpose to the pain. He goes from Moray to Bethel, which means house of God. So you mean to tell me this is where I set up a place to commune with God? It's after I've been burdened and after I've been subjected to something that makes me feel humble. And this is where I set up a house of God. This is the way of God. He has to get us to the end of ourselves. He goes from there after he sets up an altar and goes to Egypt, which means limitation. So the Lord doesn't let us get too high and mighty. We set up this place where we're in the house of God, but he keeps us humble. It's vital to our fruit because if we don't stay humble, if he doesn't limit us, if he doesn't find a way to make us feel like we we are bound to something, we can't stay connected to him. We can't bear fruit. Because our desire is always for this, the flesh. That's that's our carnal nature. So he has to bring discomfort, even in fellowship, so that we can do what he's called us to do. Without this, we're not capable of bearing the fruit. We'll get to that in a second. Then he ends up in Mamre, which is where we are now, lusty, filthy, and a place of pride. So God chose imperfect conditions to bring forth a nation. (laughs) It's a filthy place, a place where God chose to have fellowship with Abraham. It's also where Abraham's favor joined with his faith. It's a place of fellowship and joining together. 
he believed God and was accounted to him as righteousness, right? But some years later, (laughs) he still hadn't seen some things that he heard. And so the Lord had to show him his favor in the middle of all this stuff. And he had to put his faith and the favor together. And that's where Isaac was born, which means laughter. So God uses even our worn out faith to eventually bring us to joy. We might laugh in depression. We can laugh in delivery. He wants us to laugh in the midst of what seems to be failure. He wants you to laugh at the giants. He wants you to laugh at the mountain. It's not your mountain and it's not your giant. The battle belongs to God. I'm preaching to a people that are carrying something. I'm preaching to a people who are carrying. How do I know? Because Abraham got the vision, but it was up to Sarah to carry the promise. And so as we, the bride of Christ, Jesus has the will of God and the heart of God, but it's up to us to carry it and deliver it. And so within you is a promise and a purpose that has not yet come forth. And there is pain. There is discomfort. You're in the midst of imperfect conditions. But your journey takes you out of a dead place, takes you through a process of subjection and humility and interrelationship. But still, even in relationship, this is where we get mixed up. Even in relationship with God, it's a place where we wrestle. It's still a place where things aren't easy. So let's talk about the birthplace of fruit. After we find ourselves now agreeing in favor in this discomfort, this uncomfortable place, we don't laugh at God. We receive the promise because we're carrying it. And now we're starting to see, okay, there's purpose to this pain. Now listen to what the, uh, what, what the dictionary says about fruit. So we're in the birthplace of fruit now. In botany, fruit is the part of a seed-bearing plant that contains the fertilized seeds capable of generating a new plant. Fruit is the part of a seed-bearing plant that contains the fertilized seeds capable of generating a new plant. A lot of times we hear fruit and we think about eating, right? But, but here in this definition, it, it's not about eating, it's about the reproductive power. So, so what God is bringing you to is to a place where you can reproduce something he's put inside of you, and then it will reproduce over and over and over. This is what breakthrough looks like. You are full of seed. You are a fruit-bearing plant. You are a tree of righteousness. And you need to know who you are and who you serve. You serve the God of the breakthrough, the God of seed, and the God of life. Listen to this. After Abraham, Isaac's wife could not bear a child. Watch what Isaac does. It says that he entreated the Lord. That word means to burn incense in worship. It means to intercede. It means to make prayer. So he found himself in a similar situation as his father, Abraham, and his mother, Sarah. And he had seen the breakthrough before. And so Isaac said, I could just go to the Lord and the Lord will do the impossible. And guess what happened? His wife brought forth fruit. Isaac begat Jacob. Listen to this. And in Genesis 30, it says God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. So you mean to tell me a third generation had the same struggle? But I want you to see what I just what the Lord blessed me with in this. So when God says he remembered Rachel, that means to recognize someone as if they're burning incense. That's that's what that Hebrew word means. So Rachel cried out to God and God received her crying out, saying, I want a son. And recognize that as someone praying. (laughs) 
Be a man. Pray. Why am I saying that? Be a man. Pray. When her man didn't pray, when Jacob didn't pray, Rachel did. And Joseph was born. Isaac did the prayer, but Jacob missed that. He missed that. And so he didn't know to pray. In fact, Rachel goes to him and says, why won't the Lord give me a child? And and then Jacob looks at her and says, am I God? Am I the one who closed up your womb? He he divested his relationship to bring forth the fruit. So then Rachel cried out to God and the Lord recognized her prayer. But the man didn't pray. She did. And her son's name, Joseph, means may he add. And watch this. And I'm almost done. After Joseph was born, Rachel says, and I'm going to have another son. She says, even though I went through pain and struggle, I'm going to do it again. She says, run that back. I'm not done bringing forth fruit. The pain didn't discourage her. And what ended up happening was she had a child. When she died, she was giving birth. She gave her life to bring forth a child, Benjamin. Benjamin. So where are we winding this up? When we talk about Saul and Paul and all of that, Stephen's name means crown. The Lord took me to James where it says, he that endures to the end shall receive a crown of life. There is an endurance that is required of us. We live in a filthy, lusty, pride-filled land. And God wants the kingdom of this earth to be the kingdom of God and of his Christ. And so he's used us to carry that promise. And there is a crown. There is a reward when we partner with God. I just want to pray and encourage you today. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That I submit to this place of pain this subjection, this humility, and I'm going to set up an altar right here. The house of God. And even in the house of God, when things are a struggle and I'm limited and I don't necessarily see with my eyes what I know is in my heart and my spirit, I'm going to burn incense. I'm going to push. I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe. I'm going to stand. I'm not going to laugh at God's promises because anything means anything. Don't divest of your promise. Don't break fellowship with the fruit. Father, we ask you to move on us by this word. May we steward this word. May this seed bring forth. May we push. God, we are fasting and prayer. Somebody needs to join the fast today. Somebody needs to say, you know what? I've, I've, I've been in fellowship with the world when I need to be in fellowship with God. I've been allowing the atmosphere around me to impact my mindset and my actions. I want my reward. I want to be in fellowship with Christ and doing the things of God and communing with Christ. Let me seek him. I speak that grace over you in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. God bless you. Praise the Lord for you. Somebody needs to worship God and clap your hands and say thank you for a challenging word. Thank you for an encouraging word, an edifying word. Bring it forth, Lord Jesus, by your grace. Amen. Love you.
Grace and peace. Thank you so much for attending World Victory International Christian Center today. We would love to hear from you. Our desire here at World Victory is that we empower people to live victoriously. We desire for you to stay connected. So if you can visit our website at wvicc.org and click the connect link. Here you will find our salvation, prayer requests, and new member forms. Take a moment and like our Facebook page and subscribe to the YouTube page as well. Get connected today.